Bibles at Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Please be seated. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Help us to comprehend, understand, receive. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's help in this. Thank you that you're here with us, uh, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. Help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may not know exactly what you were doing 34 years ago on this very day. But I know where I was. I was in a white tuxedo, and no one was confusing me with John Travolta from Saturday Night Fever, except maybe myself in my own mind. But I think I had the world's worst haircut. (laughs) And I was walking, or I was waiting with the pastor as Paula was walking down the aisle. 34 years. That's That's a good day. June 27th, trying to figure out something to do today, to honor it on the day. And I looked and I said, oh, the Caramore is open again. Classical music, this is good, this would be great, it's beautiful out there. If you've ever been to the Caramore, it's the best place to hear music of all. Hey, they've got something going today. And it's the... uh, Symphony Orchestra, they're going to do Vaughn Williams' Lark Ascending, which is beautiful. They're going to do uh, Aaron Copeland's Appalachian Spring, which is wonderful. They're going to close with Fanfare for the Common Man. And then I said, oh, but look at this. What's this at the start? Fanfare for Uncommon Times. What's this in the middle? Fanfare for the Uncommon Woman. Uh, Oh, no, Uh, What's, what have they added? What's, what's going to happen? And I talked with Paul. I was just afraid there'd be some kind of political commentary going along to, to ruin where music is such a great uniter. So I read about a couple of these pieces, and, and uh, I just didn't want a speech about fanfare for uncommon times because, for one, I think I disagree with it. I think every time is filled with good and bad and, and all of that, and, and it seems like maybe they're just kind of piggybacking and Where's the original thought in anybody's head? And fanfare for the common man and the liner notes for the program uh, was good. They didn't blast old Copeland too bad. But the person who wrote fanfare for the uncommon woman, she said, well, these are the only political works I've written. And I'm like, I just don't want to hear the speech. I don't want to hear a divide when music is to bring us together. Sin entered the garden. And one of the things that happened as a result of the sin 
was God said to Eve, your desire shall be for your husband. And that's not desire like in a hubba hubba kind of a way. That's a desire. You want to be the boss. He's going to be the boss. You're going to fight over it and all this stuff. And it's like, I never heard Aaron Copeland say, fanfare for the common man is the only political piece I ever wrote. And why take that? And said, and the word wasn't, um, the composer didn't say, I juxtapose this with that. But she said, uh, this is a counterpoint to, to that. And so I'm like, well, we'll do something else. And I bet sometime this week, because Vaughn Williams is in my head and Copeland's in my head, I'll probably just listen to them sometime this week. Uh, we're going to have fun. We're going to enjoy this. But as I was thinking about fanfare for the uncommon woman, and if that had been about, for instance, my grandma, the writer said, who inspired me, or if that had been about my wife, or about my sister or my neighbor. Well, that's different. That's wonderful. Uh, There are a lot of uncommon, unusual, wonderful people out there to be honored and paid tribute to. And I started thinking about Lydia in the Bible, since that's where the text is. Maybe you can answer the question by the end yourself. Uncommon or common? Interesting. But we're talking about a very special woman today in our text, Lydia. And so, while we decided it wasn't worth the $40 cheap seats for the concert or even the $20 ticket to sit in the garden and listen to it, um, we do get to talk this morning ourselves about a wonderful story in the Bible and a person. And you can just see what God used Lydia to do as the first convert in this wonderful church in Philippi. Divided the sermon text this morning into three sections. Person, place, and thing. That'll help us remember. First, let's talk about the person. The person of Lydia. Lydia was probably not her real name. If you look at the text, there was a place. uh, Mostly, it was the woman from Lydia. Be like somebody from Texas. What do you call them if you can't? You want to give them a nickname, an easy one. Hey, Tex. Uh, Somebody from Iowa, hey, Iowa, hey, Nevada, hey, whatever. Uh, She was the woman from Lydia, so she was known as Lydia. It was not a popular name in that day. It was a place. Hey, Lydia. Lydia was from somewhere else, and she was known as being from somewhere else, but there she was in Philippi at the right time. Thyatira was where she was from. Thyatira had a thriving business in purple. So she was a seller of purple. And most people understand that to be purple dye, which was very expensive. And if you read the various commentaries, um, it was a commodity in those days. And, and you can read and people say it took, you know, a gazillion of these little things to make one little thing of purple dye and everybody wanted it. And, and uh, one of them... Uh, said, as they looked at history, they said even until the 1800s, they finally stopped selling dye from there. It was known as a place for that, for their rugs and all of those things. So how'd she get from Thyatira, where they made that purple dye, to Philippi? We don't know. Had she family that was doing that, and they sent her? She was a single, most likely a mom, from the the understanding of the text and the commentary at the time and and the household and and, and the way the Romans 
the Roman government looked at, at women. If you had three kids, if you were a woman, when one person said, uh, then you got the right to vote and have your business and all that stuff. But they were, uh, it was very interesting. Uh, didn't, I didn't let it take me on a rabbit trail, but it was, it was something. So who knows? Maybe Lydia's story is she came with her husband, and he died, and she carried on the business. Maybe he was gone before that, and she came. Maybe because of the fact that she was a believer in one God, and she was there as a Gentile uh, worshiping with the Jewish people, maybe they said, let's get rid of her as a religious fanatic and get her out of Thyatira, where they worshiped many gods. And maybe it was just a convenient thing, and she was, she was obviously business savvy. She was obviously a, a hard charger. She wanted him to come stay with her, it says, and, and she prevailed on us. In other words, she wouldn't take no for an answer. And, uh, and, and she, she won over Paul and, and, and the group that, to come stay at her house. Uh, quite an interesting person. She was an uncommon woman. The Bible says that she converted to Christianity and was baptized. She was gathered there with the women at the river. She was open to the idea, to the, even the Jewish idea of the one God. And she was there listening. And was she necessarily smarter or more spiritually astute than the other women that were there? No, but the Holy Spirit did something, it says. The Holy Spirit, it says on the Sabbath day in verse 13, we went outside the gate to the riverside. We sat down. One of the who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. It says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. This is why we even pray before our sermons, why you can pray for people. God, pray that, that, that so-and-so who I love, that, that you would open their heart, that they'd pay attention to the gospel when it's proclaimed. God did this. It's biblical. She didn't generate her own interest. The Holy Spirit was active as she was listening as the Holy Spirit is always active when you're listening. I had a professor that said one time, if you, um, you feel like you're, you're, you're just dry spiritually, you're dead, you wonder even if you're a believer, you find somebody that says, I don't even know. He says, where do you think you're going to hear? He says, if you want to get hit by a truck, go play on the highway. If you want the Holy Spirit to work, go here where the word is being proclaimed and let the Holy Spirit work and open up hearts and, and let the word, Lord do his work as the word is being preached and proclaimed. And there she was. Boy, she could have done her business on a Sunday probably. She was that good. Why, or on a Sabbath, why would she be a, uh, there worshiping? But she carved out her time to worship the God of the Bible that she knew, even as she got ready to hear the gospel and what it all meant and what it was leading to. The active agent in our salvation is not us. It's not even in the flowery words of the speaker. Do you think if somebody other than Paul, if Paul says, well, we're going to rotate now. Silas, why don't you preach the message today? Or, hey, Luke, you've been traveling with us for a little while. It's your turn. If the Lord wanted to open her heart to pay attention to what was being proclaimed, 
He would have done it for Paul or Silas or Luke. This is biblical. The active agent in salvation is the Holy Spirit. It does take somebody to deliver it. It takes you to deliver it to people you know as you share the gospel. How will they hear without a preacher, says the word of God. But it's not in the flowery words or the well-constructed arguments of the preacher. It's delivering the message, but it's the Holy Spirit opening up her heart to pay attention to what was being said. What happened? She paid attention. She got saved. And she was baptized in her household as well, which we will get to a little in depth next week on households and and the amazing incidences of people where it says in the Bible that households got baptized. She got saved. She was baptized in her household as well. And then she prevailed on us. She said, come to my house and stay. She had a place to accommodate people. And she wanted right away to use her gifts in hospitality and her ability to take care of them and give them a base of operations. And she wouldn't take no for an answer. She prevailed on us. That's why we know she's probably good at what she did selling the purple. Good for her. That's the person. An uncommon woman. Maybe. Or maybe just a common woman. And the uncommon one is the Holy Spirit who came and said, I'm going to save her. The place of Philippi. His name, I read a little bit of the history. Uh, Philip of Macedonia, who I guess was Alexander, who I believe, if I remember right, I don't, didn't put it in my notes, Alexander's father named it after himself, Philippi, Philip of Macedonia. And so it's Philippi. And it existed as a city. It's quite the city. Um, there was a big famous battle fought there. And after the battle was finished, uh, Rome annexed it, and a lot of retired soldiers lived there. A lot of Pensacola, where a lot of Young men came through and trained. Uh, it's the, the, the cradle of, of, of a Navy flight. And a lot of people were there training. But then they fought the wars. They did everything. And they said, I remember Pensacola. Nice climate. I was young then. I looked like John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever then, or whatever they said about themselves. And, they remembered. and a lot of retirees would come back to Pensacola. And it was quite the military town uh, Apparently, Philippi was like this in some respects. A lot of old soldiers went there to retire. One writer said this is as close as you could come to preaching in Rome without being in Rome. This was like a Roman city. It was an outpost there, Philippi in Macedonia. Obviously not a strong Jewish contingent there. Uh, What we know of history and what we know of of Jewish practices in that time uh, was it took ten men to be on the rolls to have an actual synagogue. Ten men. Didn't have ten men there, ten Jewish men to do that. And so the women would go down and they would gather. They wanted to worship in the Jewish faith and they gathered by the river. And so 
Paul, according to his practice, where he would try to find a synagogue. Remember, we've talked about this. He would go, and what we've said all along, because it's biblical, we believe is, is that religious people need Jesus. Irreligious people need Jesus. Sometimes, and in these early days of Christianity, they found out that religious people were more open because they already had the scriptures. And Paul, with his training, was uniquely gifted to look at the scriptures and say, here's, what, here's how they all point to Jesus. And so that was just the strategy of the early church at that time. No synagogue, but they said, I bet there's a Jewish group of people that are open to the Old Testament scriptures meeting by the river. So you could say it was more of an irreligious city, even without the scriptures there uh, among them in, in a strong way. It's different. It's a different city. It wasn't Jerusalem. The gospel would be the same if you're planting a church in Jerusalem, but the people are different. It wasn't Jerusalem, it wasn't Antioch, it wasn't Corinth, it wasn't Galatia, it wasn't Thessalonica, it was Philippi. And there they were. Just finished a book uh, about the Civil War and about the coming together afterwards and about how different the North was from the South. My sister-in-law, Robin, when she was here, and it's the first time she'd been out of, um, at least in New England, she'd been out of Tennessee, but barely. And she was from, from a part of Tennessee down there at the foot of the Appalachian. And she was just marveling at the people. And my brother was, was, was talking about how the people spoke up in Boston as they traveled around. there. He'd never been up to New England either. And, and I said, it's amazing how it's one country but the South is there, the Midwest is there, the West is there. Uh, Larry King, the old uh, talk show host, before he went on CNN, was like a, a late-night radio host, and he talked about his early days in radio. He said they wouldn't even have to have a call screener. It wasn't necessary for them to tell me where the caller was from. I could hear their voice and their shade of accent. Now, by the way, the purest accent? Midwest. It's, it's, Iowa, it's Indiana. Uh, the rest of you guys are, are variants. <laughs> but all of my siblings all picked up southern accents from living down there, and I guess I have a little bit of that too sometimes from all the time I've spent there. Anyway, it's different. Cities are different. Places are different. Regions are different. It's a different thing, and yet everybody's the same. So he goes in to Philippi, and the gospel message never changes. But you have to find out uh, what are the receptor points for people as they receive the gospel. We came up here to plant this church in Danbury. Here's what they said about New England 15 years ago. And they were probably thinking back to 20 years ago. They said, if you're going to plant a church in greater Danbury, this is what they said 15 years ago. I don't think it applies so much today. They said, it better be in Danbury proper. Because they said the people from the edge towns in these New England towns, um, somebody's living in Bethel, they'll say, why should I go to New Milford to go to church? I got a church in Bethel. Why? In the edge towns, there's, there's a, a pride of, of, of towns that have been here for these towns that have been here for 300 years. And so we can talk about greater Danbury, 
but they said people will drive to Danbury from all the edge towns to go to the mall, the time when newspapers were, uh, hadn't declined so much yet. People from all the edge towns will get the Danbury newspaper. And they said it's, it's a, a good thing to think about. Two things they said. Uh, for one, get your permanent place. If, you, if you're just renting a place out, you're going to look like a fly-by-night, and you're there and, and gone. As quick as you can get a permanent place, the New Englanders will like to see the permanence. That's what they said 15 years ago. And plant it in Danbury and reach the edge towns. That's interesting. There'd be a different strategy, perhaps, or a different way if you're planting a church. And these are all human things, and we know that the Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit will do. The point I'm making is each town is different and unique, even though the people have such commonalities, our, our, our need of a Savior and forgiveness is the same wherever you go. Well, that was the person, Lydia. That was the place, Philippi. The thing to talk about and think about is God's church. It's a local church that God was planting from the beginning. Paul's mission as we look at Acts, was never to just go out and get converts, 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 and then go to the next converts. Uh, Jesus said, when Peter gave his confession, and Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. They went out to plant churches, not just to get people converted. They set up elders in every town. This whole idea of this second mission trip, when it started, uh, was not to go to Macedonia. It was to go encourage the churches that had already been established. Never, ever under, underestimate the importance that God puts on a local church. Gathering people together. The first local convert here was Lydia. She wasn't the last. Next week we see the Philippian jailer. We read the book of Philippians where Paul writes back to the church that's there in Philippi. One of the recipients would have been Lydia. Paul loved that church. If you're a candidate for ministry and you're being examined just on basic core of the Bible and, and you're there and, or somebody just asks you off the street, you're shopping in the store and somebody says, hey, what's the book of Philippians about? Okay, that'll never happen. But if it did happen, what would you say? The themes of Philippians, the words that just run through Philippians, joy and rejoicing. Paul's in jail, but all he talks about is the joy he has when he thinks about this Philippian church, of which Lydia was the first convert in this town. He started his letter to them. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Paul, in jail, getting ready to lose his head uh, for the faith, writes a letter to the church here. And he's thinking back to that meeting by the water when Lydia's converted. And he has nothing but joy and rejoicing throughout as he thinks about God's work in their lives. 
people, or in this case, a person, Lydia, the place, quite the city, a different kind of a city, but a city that God obviously wanted that church planted in because he gave the, the Macedonian in the dream saying, come over here and help us. The thing, God's church, God's gathering of his people together. Picture yourself as one of these churches that St. Paul had come through and the Holy Spirit had been used and it had used Paul to convert us. And he'd think about us. Our, our church has a flavor. It's got wonderful. You could, and, and this church, boy, we got some, some wonderful characters. It's fun. And this is a, what a great church. What a great, if you were a sitcom writer and you wanted to, to write a story or a drama writer, or maybe you'd make it a, a dramedy, which is most of us, uh, you'd have plenty of material with the people that God has assembled and is assembling here. Wonderful people. You think about Philippians. You think about Lydia, the jailer. Uh, toward the end, Paul is writing in, in chapter 4 of Philippians, and he's talking about these two women that are squabbling with each other, Euodia and Syntyche. And he says, hey, boy, we had so much fun before. It just hurts me that you guys are kind of at odds with each other. Hey, you, Mr. Yoke fellow, as he's called, uh, Come and, and mediate between them. Let's, let's, let's keep together. Essentially, let's appreciate each other. The person, the place, and the thing. Take this and think about your own involvement in your own local church and your own belonging in your own local church. How do we just take this and apply it in our practical lives as we live. The worst thing would be if we walked out here and said, well, I learned something about Philippi today. <laughs> uh, the best thing would be, I learned something about Philippi today. The Lord, the Lord uh, seemed to show me from Scripture or speak to me through his Holy Spirit this today. Well, what are some applications we can make to this? One, God has a plan for individuals. Lydia stands up as an old lady and she talks about what God has done for her and she looks back on her life. She includes her time in Thyatira and whatever time it was that she rejected the plurality of gods and started narrowing in on one God. And whatever moved her, whatever those circumstances that took her from Thyatira to Philippi are part of the story. And you can see a family decision or her saying, hey, I can be really good. Get me over to Philippi. You bet I can sell this purple. I can do these things. And, and God's smiling to himself because it's actually God moving her there for an even greater purpose, for her salvation, because that's what he's going to use. And you look at your own circumstances and the things that have moved you from one place to another. Things may be bad, may be good, but think about God's loving hand in your life and doing all things so that they work for good. Been thinking about, uh, about, about our, our Chinese brothers and sisters, and some of them walked, uh, some of our elders were here, maybe, I think maybe all of us were here for one meeting, we had some representatives for another, and we stood in here, and uh, a couple of, of elders from that Chinese church saying, I came over here, I wasn't a Christian, 
and the Baptist church that was here just reached out and loved me so much, and I got saved, and I'm a Christian now. Now they're an elder in a church looking to advance the gospel. And you say, wow, God's smiling whenever that decision was made for them to come from China to the United States because he was going to save them and use them. And we talk about our history and our circumstances, but think about the real loving true hand behind all of it. And maybe it can keep us from being so down when bad things happen that shake us up. Or maybe it can keep us from being so proud if good things happen, what we think interpret as good. Uh, maybe, maybe God's loving, sovereign hand is behind all of that. And God, that individual text, <laughs> Lydia, the woman from Lydia, God had his hand on her to save her. That's how God operates. Where can you hide from God? He knows your address. And if God wants to love you and save you and then use you to be part of something bigger than yourself, what a loving God, he's going to do it. Second application, I kind of dwelt on on that uh, earlier, but I'll just say it and we'll move on. That part about her heart was open to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Is this a prayer that's worth praying for others? If you're at your wits end with people you love who just seem to be so loving the world and so caught, is it a worthy prayer to say, God, can you just take that daughter or son or parent or coworker and can you just open their heart Pay attention to what's said when the gospel's speaking. I think that's a good prayer to pray. Pray that God does his work in the life of people. Third, successful businesswomen and their households are welcome in the kingdom as are failing jail keepers in their households. Caught a woman here, successful. <laughs> Caught a man later on in the chapter, unsuccessful, even going to kill himself. Kingdom's wide open for people. You can be riding high in April and shot down in May. God can save you in April. He can save you in May. Kingdom's for you. Four, there's not a successful type city for the gospel or an unsuccessful one. The work of God is the only difference maker. Somebody goes and plants a church in New York City and it becomes a big deal and then and all of a sudden we've all got to go and, and that person who planted that church in New York City has got to tell us how we have to plant churches in Danbury. Danbury is different. New York City is different. Washington, D.C. is different. Ottumwa, Iowa is different. The common denominator between quote-unquote success is the, is the work of the Holy Spirit in any of those places. We don't pay a guy 250 bucks an hour to tell you how to share the gospel with people. You may not even want him to autograph his book. Holy Spirit does the work. We have the book. It's the gospel. It's the Bible. And we share the gospel with the people around us.
Next, the varied people that God chooses to include in his churches deserve some attention. What did I mean there? I meant celebrate the difference. Celebrate the wonderful variety of people. Let's say there's somebody who's a gardener. That all she wants to do is plant, name some flower. I like irises, irises. And all she'll plant and all she'll recommend, I'll draw up a plan for you. <laughs> Minimum of four hours to draw the plan. Okay, Iris is in this bed, Iris is in this bed, Iris is in this bed, Iris is here, Iris is here, Iris is here. Um, well, if you like irises, you might like that. But there's a reason why it's true. We even say in our own lives, variety is the spice of life. Look at all the people God saves. Look at the people he called to himself. A people from political uh, different ends. You've got a, a zealot and you've got a tax collector. You've got people with this personality and people with that one. Um, it's a beautiful thing, and we say it as, as a great leveler um, uh, when, when the Bible says that in, in, in Christ there is no uh, Jew or Greek or bond or free or male or female. It's people from all economics, people from all races, people from both genders. Wow. And God's loving this. This is God walking through his garden saying, look at all these people who I've saved. And can't you love that too? And isn't it great to have some people, there's a reason why there's a plurality of of elders in a church. Because personalities are different. Perspectives are different. Ages are different. And together, it's the collective that God uses to to speak and and, and to lead. So love your your church. Love your, your different people. Miss them when they're gone. Enjoy them. Six of seven. The ongoing work of God in the lives of his people. Reminding him that he's there. God, we know because God doesn't work like this. God didn't save Lydia, have her baptized, let the church use her to feed those people until they got put in prison and all that stuff, and then say, forget Lydia, I'm moving on to the next one. We can assume because Paul talked about this in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. In Philippians, he talked about running a race uh, and it being a marathon and about growth and spiritual growth. And Lydia had her times of spiritual growth. And God inter erupts people's lives sometimes, our lives, to remind us that he's there and he loves us. We talk about these God incidences that aren't coincidences. I was thinking about my oldest daughter. Speaking, God, I was thinking about her every time uh, Rafe Bond Williams, the Lark Ascending, comes up or I hear it on the radio or something, I think of Sarah. She was in college and she was just really having a hard, hard time. And it was a, it's a quasi-Christian college. I mean, there was the gospel there. I, I don't know everything, but she, they would have to go to X amount of chapel services each semester and all that stuff. And as they leave chapel, she says, normally the songs they play were just some kind of generic Christian music, pump you up on the way out. 
during her hardest time. And the chapel message meant nothing, and she was just, and they, for whatever reason, she said, I don't know why they did this. Never did it before, never did it again. She said they played Vaughn Williams, the Lark Ascending. She said, I felt like God played that and put that on there as we were exiting the chapel building just for me to remind him because it was so lifting and so wonderful. And she, she could see God's hand even in a, a composition that was played over the loudspeakers. And I bet if you think about it, because you've noticed it, that if we took our time and, and had a pen and paper, we could think of all the ways that God has shown us that he was there and real. Uh, he does it in so many ways. Lydia wasn't converted to just be a, a notch on, on uh, Paul's spiritual gun that he could go back and brag about in Jerusalem. She was a wonderful woman who was saved to be God's daughter. And he was with her all the way to the end. And where is Lydia now? Up in heaven. Worshiping God. And then finally, here's how God does it. Uh, the the works-oriented sermon would say, and just like Lydia had gifts and stuff, and she got saved, and she used her gifts, you need to be using your... That's not really the way it works. Lydia got saved. And we can't help it. When God saves us, he does save us to do things. This is where the title Purple Rain came in. I, I, was gonna be, I thought I was clever, and I wasn't too clever. I called it Purple Rain like she was the seller of purple, and then God was raining, and I spelled it not like the song by Prince, but rain, R-E-I-G-N, and, and how God reigned in her life, and even with her seller of purple, she used her resources to, you know, it was going to be something like that, and it was dumb, and it failed. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, God reigns in your life, and connected to your salvation is a change in your heart. It was her heart that was opened up to here, and God opens our heart, and all of a sudden, we find things that we have always been good at or resources that we have and all of a sudden something happens and we just all of our allegiances are different and we want to use them for the for, for the kingdom and she did that and right away all of a sudden as even as evidence after her baptism you come stay with us i'm going to share my resources with you hospitality is my gift come and i'll be hospitable and 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 it sounds like there was a little bit of a discussion. Oh, no, we're already camped out at such and such a place. Oh, no, we wouldn't want to be a burden. And she prevailed. And we just can't help. It's connected. It's like that verse that in the women's group you memorized. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We could, uh, we could plug uh, Lydia's name into it. For by grace, Lydia was saved through faith. And that not of herself, it was a gift of God. Not of Lydia's works or Lydia would boast. But then 10, for Lydia was God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that Lydia should walk in them. And then apply that to your own life and say, yeah, that's why I'm kingdom involved. It may not be stay at your house. It may be something else. But there is a way that God, when he saves us, he saves us to do good works. 
The old church fathers put it this way. They said, we are saved by faith alone, but not the faith that is alone. When God hands you this wonderful gift called conviction of sin, called repentance, called faith in Jesus, he also says, and now you get to to, to work uh, for someone that's bigger than yourselves on, on a bigger thing called God's kingdom. And that's a beautiful thing we see in this passage right away. When Zacchaeus uh, got saved, when Jesus interfered, Zacchaeus, he just climbed up there and wanted to see Jesus, and Jesus said, hey, I'm coming to your house. See me down that tree, get over to the house, tell him to get something on the stove, and see what we got, and Jesus is coming. And then after that conversation where Zacchaeus was converted, and Zacchaeus said, What did he say? If I've stolen from anybody, I'm going to pay it back double. I'm giving back everything and all that. And what did Jesus say? As a pronouncement on Zacchaeus' works after salvation came. He said, truly salvation has come to this house because it's connected. and We can't help it. Okay. And in case it's not been made abundantly clear in our entire service, through our adoration of God, through the admission and confession of our sins, through the declaration of forgiveness in Jesus, the way we confessed our faith together in the creed. I haven't done it in the sermon sufficiently. I want to remind you of just what happened in the person we call Lydia in the city of Philippi that made her a member of the church. What happened? She responded in faith to the message that Paul proclaimed. Wait a minute, it doesn't say what Paul proclaimed. Well, it doesn't in this passage, but it does everywhere throughout Acts and throughout his letters and throughout the gospel, the message that, God, that Paul proclaimed. Here's what happened in Lydia's heart. She responded, and I'll just give you uh, one verse from his letter to the Colossians, and then we'll go to the Lord's table. Here's Paul's message in a nutshell. Colossians 1.21, although I could choose a million, choose the, chose this one for this time. Here's what Lydia responded to. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's the message she heard by the river. And that's the message God opened her heart to receive. She was a sinner. She was anti-God, even though religious. And all of a sudden, God reconciled her and she put her faith in Jesus Christ as the one who reconciled her to him. The gospel. Now we get to see it demonstrated at the table. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this woman, Lydia, who we will uh, presumably get to meet in heaven. Lord, thank you that she's there in her place that you prepared for her, worshiping you. Thank you for her life. And thank you for our lives. Thank you for saving us. Lord, help those who you haven't saved yet. 
We pray that you would open their ears to the gospel. We thank you for our home on high, where we'll join these wonderful people who weren't so wonderful at first until you saved them. Thank you for our brothers and sisters who've gone on ahead, including this uncommon woman. In Jesus' name, amen.